Hi, I'm Anuradha Gupta, founder CEO and lead matchmaker at Vows for Eternity and welcome to Heart to Heart, a podcast that takes you to the heart of people's lives and what makes them who they are. And welcome back to another episode everyone. If you enjoy our show, please like us and subscribe because that always helps and find Heart to Heart on Instagram and Facebook. Today, I'm speaking with Neelam Sethi, a philanthropist and cultural ambassador who has dedicated her life to build programs that enrich the lives of the people in her community. Neelam takes us on a journey from India to Arizona, through which she shares stories about her upbringing in India and then moving to a completely new environment with all the hurdles that came with it. As a woman who has made the journey from India to the West myself, I'm very excited to have this conversation with her. Good morning Neelam, thank you for taking the time to join us today. There's so much I want to talk to you about your journey, about your life. There's just so much that I want to talk about. Perhaps we go back a few years. I want to start with your childhood. Tell us what was your childhood like? What were your growing up years like? Did you have a conservative upbringing? Um, I was born in Allahabad on the 5th of December in 1949 and my mom and dad had got married in Missouri uh, in 1948 uh, one year after the partition and they had to go to Missouri because my mother lived in Amritsar and my father was in what is now Pakistan and during the partition riots they had to go away to Missouri and that's where they got married all my life i only remember being surrounded and overwhelmed by the love that we got i was the eldest and i have a younger sister who is a year and a half younger to me and a younger brother who is 3 years younger to me and it was always love and values that were taught to us you know that you give 100% to whatever you do your word is your honor and if you give love you get it back because i think in life what you project to others is reflected back at you that's wonderful and i think that's really what holds one in good stead you know those are the best things that we as parents can give their kids things were quite different in india at that time i'm sure how much say did you have as far as marriage was concerned because you got married quite young and is that something you wanted for yourself or was it just the expected thing well you know like you said the uh, lifestyle nowadays even in india has changed a lot since you know 1949 when i was growing up in those days it we were not allowed to be dating or having boyfriends and going out at least in our family that's how it was and um like every young girl you dream about romance and love and being swept off your feet like cinderella and your prince charming will come I remember when I was 16 I had finished my senior Cambridge then it was still senior Cambridge and uh, uh, my father was transferred to Delhi and he was commanding the army hospital there and uh, it was new year's eve and my mom and dad um said when you were 16 you could go out to the club for the new year's eve party and that was the first time I got dressed up and went 
to the ball. And it was my mom and dad and two other couples of theirs. And the band was playing. And and my mother had told me no dancing with anyone, but you can just go. And I I didn't care. I was just so thrilled. First time had my hair done. I was wearing a sari. You go to the club and all these young officers in their white dress, formal dress, medals and everything. It was pretty dazzling. And I was just thrilled to be there. And then one officer had come and would ask, can I have the pleasure of this dance? And I looked at my mom and in her eyes, I could read that she was saying no. So I said, no, I'm sorry. He came a second time. I did the same thing. She she didn't say anything, but I knew she didn't want me. I said, okay, I'm sorry. Third time he came again, he went to my dad and he asked him, that can I have the pleasure of this dance? Can I ask your daughter for a dance? And my dad said, okay, if she would like to, it's fine. And I did get up and dance. And then it just happened that um, he would call me occasionally. And in India, those days, there would be just one phone in the center of the veranda or in the living room or something like that. So it wasn't like any private conversations and it was very simple and fun. And my mom and dad never said, oh, you can't talk to a boy. But it was different because when he got transferred away, he sent a letter and my mother handed it to me and she said that you can read it. And when you were having phone calls, that was fine. But you, I do not want you to respond back. And I thought, oh, and my mother said that if you do, I will never know. But that is not what you should do. And I took the letter up to my room and I never did. Because I said, I always kind of felt that whatever they say is the right thing. And growing up and after my, when I went to college, in India, you get lots of proposals from friends who have sons or friends, relatives. And I did have my fair share of proposals. And when Gulshan came, you know, the usual Chai Pebulaya had the stories that you hear in the movies and things. And you don't talk much. You just go in the garden, look at the roses, say a couple of things and you come back. And Gulshan liked me a lot. And uh, he was keen that we should get married. So it was in a course of three weeks that I met Gulshan, got married and left India. New York City, the first thing that we did, spent one night there in Gulshan's friend's home. And uh, we went to see the Broadway show Hair. And imagine, come and all my life, we studied in a convent. Girls, all girls school, you know, very disciplined, very different. And to see hair right away, the first thing you do coming to America. I don't know if you've heard of that uh, Broadway show hair. It was kind of risque. And then after that, the next day we landed in Salt Lake City. Snow up to your knees. I only had saris and my, you know, sandals. So it was a quick buying of coats and boots and things like that. And Gulshan was doing his residencies there in heart surgery. And those days there were no cell phones, no pages, um, nothing like that. So, and he had to spend 36 hours in the hospital at a stretch. And it was hard. 
Right. I was thinking about this when you were talking because it's it must have been extremely difficult a coming from that sort of sheltered environment in India as a young bride and then coming to to the United States culturally very different especially more so in those days. You know, when I left India, you are excited, you're a new bride, you have all these gorgeous saris, all your jewelry. It was exciting, but I was a bit apprehensive and a little bit nervous because you are leaving everything that is familiar, your family, your home, and going hundreds of miles away with a relatively unknown man in a totally foreign country. And yes, of course, when we landed in Salt Lake City, the next morning, Gulshan had to go operate and learn, you know, practice things. And so he would leave in the morning, spend the night there, come home the next night. I didn't know a soul. I didn't know anything. He had a lovely one bedroom apartment, kitchen, living room, overlooking one of the most beautiful temples, a Mormon temple in Salt Lake City. And just as in America, most people have the impression that India is poor and starving people and, you know, not very advanced. In India, when I left, everyone told me, be careful, don't be out alone, keep your doors locked. So I was home in that apartment, 36 hours at a stretch. And all Gulshan had were books, a television, and um, some uh, plates and dishes. And that's it. But uh, one very interesting incident was that about a week or 10 days later, my doorbell rang. And those days in the door, you used to have a magic eye that you could peep through and see who's there. And I saw this man with a huge bouquet of flowers, but I wouldn't open the door. And he went away. And about five minutes later, there was a phone call and a lady answered the phone. I mean, I was on the phone when I answered. And she said that, uh, welcome to America. And there is somebody at the door who has something for you. And I am the uh, manager of this apartment complex. And I know you've just got married and come. And we are here from London and have been here three years. So we know how difficult it must be. And so uh, I said, oh, uh, let him leave the flowers by the door. I mean, I'm just getting out of the shower. I can't open the door. So those days bolted, a chain, a lock. I waited. I was looking to see what was happening. That man left the flowers and went. And I waited and then I pulled them in. And it was such a beautiful note welcoming me to America. And that lady was 51 years old and I was 21. And we became the best of friends. She kind of adopted me. We took swimming lessons together. We took uh, driving lessons together. We took sewing lessons together. And it was a wonderful, wonderful friendship. And I only had my saris. And those days, it was like the hipster saris, short blouses. And I would wear that and go with Dorothy. Her name was Dorothy walk down Main Street and uh, at a red light or when we had to wait or go to a store, people would stop me and say, in Salt Lake City is rather 
conservative. And there are there weren't any Indians there in 1971. So they would stop me and say, where are you from? Are you a gypsy? Are you a belly dancer? Are you um, a fortune teller? Are you poor? Do they live in trees? Where do you get your protein from? You poor vegetarian. And just, and I would be horrified. And I kind of uh, sad that is this the impression Americans have of India? And that really puzzled me and bothered me. So after three months, I started taking my carousel of slides and a sari and going to the schools that were teaching India, the grades that they were teaching about India. I would go to the clubs, Rotary Club, you know, any of the other places where they wanted to learn about India, joined the YWCA, would have, have they would have international fairs and I would showcase India. And I wanted to do my best to let the people know that India is not the impression that the news media gives often. You've actually really been this cultural ambassador of India and particularly even in Tucson, which at that time when you moved, probably there weren't that many Indians or at least not enough Indians who were very vocal and as proud as you are of your Indian heritage. And there's, there's so much that you've done over the years. But that's also very interesting because you devoted your significant part of your life to your husband and to your children and then you came into your own in in a lot of ways once the kids uh, moved away. And how was that? Was it very tough? You know, we hear about the emptiness syndrome. What was that experience like for you? It was um, hard when uh, my son and my daughter left. And especially my daughter, when Sonia left, I was... um, really very lonely and sad. And every night I would set the table for dinner and all. I always had a place setting. And every time we had to go out anywhere, I could never go to, say, the ice cream shops I went to with her. Or, and I would always have a place setting there for her. And my husband, Wilson, would always say, what are you doing? She's just gone to school. She'll be back. So that was hard. And then I had always, like I said, been promoting India and our culture because I am so proud of where we come from. I'm so proud of India. After uh, Sonia and our son Dave had gone away, I delved myself into anything that I could do to help promote India and showcase our heritage and our culture in the best light possible. And I loved doing that. And I have done so much. That's kind of my passion now, letting people know and have give them a better understanding of what India uh, is all about, the country, the food, the value system, the religion. Right. There's so much that I learned from your life and your, your, your story in a lot of ways. Um, I see that the strong roots that you have in India and having two young children of my own, I'm very interested in in the idea of trying to raise them with one foot in each culture, because I think both cultures have their own set of uh, good things and positive things that they bring to the table. I admire the work ethics in America 
But I am so proud of the way the children are taught to respect their elders, to be kind, to be generous, to be honest and true to themselves. So I think it is a very good combination because you can teach and share the best of both worlds. And one great example of that to me, which made me feel so happy and proud was that when Sonia was in college and it was her 21st birthday, one of the friends that she had, a boy, called me up to ask me if he could take Sonia to New Orleans for her 21st birthday. And um, I said, I think it it should be totally fine, but I will check with her dad, her father, when he comes home. And when Gulshan came home, I asked him and I told him that this young man has asked to take Sonia to New Orleans. And Gulshan said, no way, not at all. And I said, let me ask my son, who is five years older than Sonia. And he said, mom, you should be so proud of the relationship Sonia and you have. And of the values that Sonia has, that even the boy who is her friend knows that if she, that she will ask you for sure. And if you say no, he said, I don't want to ask her if you're going to say no, because I don't want to disappoint her. And my son said to me that she is more than a thousand miles away from you in Dallas. And you don't know what she may be doing or not doing. But if her friend knows her value system and won't go and knows that she will not just go away on a trip with him unless I said, okay, I think that speaks a lot of what you can instill in your children, the boundaries you set without regimenting them and scolding them or being upset because if you I have always believed that if you give a reason why you should or should not do something it is so much easier to uh, behave that way so I believe in giving freedom with a lot of explanation good and bad your son you mentioned your son and your son is married to a non-Indian Culturally, do you think Indians and non-Indians are really as different as we as we make it seem? Well, all human beings have the same desires, the same aspirations. And culturally, yes, we can be very, very different. But nowadays, with all that exposure of travel and um, people loving things that are different, it has become much easier. And I think if you are open and willing to understand each other, there, I have never told my son or my daughter that you must marry Indian because it's not a given that all Indians are wonderful and all Americans can be not that great. I think it depends on the person. And I think when you are brought up in a certain way, you look for those qualities in the person you may meet. Agreed that my children, uh, both son and daughter, did not have arranged marriages because I did not believe in that. I think 
the children now are exposed enough. They know what they want in life. And our son has a wonderful wife who's American, Hispanic American, and her values, her love of for us, for her parents, the way she's bringing up her children with both sets of values, the Indian and the American. I think it's just creditable and wonderful. The last two years um, have thrown yet another challenge at you, with you being diagnosed with cancer and other complications that actually stemmed from it. What gave you the strength and the willpower to come out the winner the way you have? And and do you think that one, when one experiences things which are so life-altering, it's almost like a new lease of life. Do you feel that experiences that, like this profoundly change a person? Have they changed you? I think anything that makes you um, experience something traumatic, whether it is a sickness, whether it is an accident, whether you come face to face with the prospect of dying, changes you intrinsically. I had till now felt like I was leading a charmed life, just happy, love-filled, great. And when this happened so unexpectedly, we had just got back from a fabulous cruise, came back, spent two weeks home in Tucson and then went on another trip, came back three weeks later. And the night we got back, I noticed a lump in my breast and my husband immediately knew what it was. And the next morning I got diagnosed and it was like my world fell apart and I cried a lot. I didn't know what my life or future would be. It's a very daunting, scary experience. But I think the love and support that my husband gave me and the absolute love and adoration of my daughter and my son carried me through. I I could not have done that without them. It was it was very hard. Very, very hard. Sonia flew down every time I had to have my chemo or any, any, any procedure. And that gave me strength. That gave me a lot of strength. And also, you never realize how many people you touch in your life because you don't go about thinking, oh, I did this for someone. I shared this with someone. So they owe me anything. But I know you will not believe I have over 800 letters, cards. My home that entire year looked like a florist shop. Gifts and cards and flowers. And I think the love that surrounded me got me through. So profound. No, and I think you look you look wonderful. You look very charming, wonderful. You know, hindsight is such a fantastic thing. But if you could look back, when you look back into time, over the years, your experiences, your journey, and if you could redo, undo, or do differently, any one thing in your life, what would that be? I don't think I would have anything that I would like to change. Not that everyone, that my life was perfect, 
but I have the understanding and the knowledge that life can never be perfect 24-7. There are good days, there are fantastic days, there are bad days. You can be flying high and feeling great and the next day you can be down in the dumps. That is life. And I think if you learn to roll with it, everything seems good. I have a wonderful husband. I have darling, adorable children. And I'm blessed. I would not change anything. Looking back now over the lifetime that you've spent together, how has that been? What moments really stand out as a touch point, both good and bad? And is there any advice that you would like to give um, our listeners today about marriage? I think marriage is a, a very beautiful institution. I think if you lead your life knowing that the person you have married and who you are come from totally different backgrounds. My upbringing was totally different than Gulshan's. But in marriage, you have to blend two homes, two value systems, two people together. And if you come and if you realize that even brothers and sisters with everything being the same, still do not get along all the time. And there are arguments, there's joy, there's laughter, there are tears. If you cannot, you experience these emotions with your siblings and to then get married and expect everything has to be um, moonlight and wine and roses is a fantasy. And if you come from that understanding and build a life together, of course, there are things that Gulchen does I do not like. And I'm sure there are there's things that I do that he would rather I don't. But when there's give and take and understanding, I think you can be happy. And I mean, it's not that I'm happy 24-7. I do have my moments that there are days I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. And there are days Gulchen may get on my nerves. But that is reality. That is reality. And I think the present generation needs to listen to that and hear that and get a grip of that because life is not always what you dream. There are moments in life that are not exactly what you have expected or wanted, but the love that you give each other and when you stay um, sensitive to the other person's feelings, that bond is so strong that even when there are arguments or dislike of something, it's not something that you say, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. Well, thank you for that. And, and Neelam, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. And thank you for giving us a glimpse of your journey. Um, before you go, please, can you play this little rapid fire game with us? What's your favorite time of day? Evening. Define yourself in two words. Kind, sensitive. Three things that you can't live without. Uh, my children, sharing and giving love, and 
Yeah, I think two things are good and they sort of encompass so much. Um, what is inspiring in your life right now? I think sharing my journey with people who are going through what I have been through and encouraging them that a diagnosis of cancer isn't the end of the world and um, being able to give that confidence and that feeling of hope and that desire that everything is going to be fine. Well, thank you once again, Elam, for speaking with us. Um, there is so much that I've learned from our conversation today. Um, I, think, I think the ability of the human mind when we set ourselves to do something is very fascinating. And you have reinforced something I personally believe in, that the only limits that really matter are the ones that we set on ourselves. So thank you again. I appreciate the chance to share my views. Thanks. That was my conversation with Neelam Sethi, a story just full of love, compassion and resolve. And for the last episode of this season of Heart to Heart, I'll be speaking with renowned film producer and Academy Award winner, Guneet Monga. Yes, most of us know Guneet as very successful in her career, but there is a lot more to her than that. See you next week for the final episode of the season.